Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I don't think they wanted to acknowledge that I was not perfect. Because I feel like with narcissistic parents, they always want to put that appearance up front that we have the perfect family, we have the perfect kids, we have the perfect house. Ultimately, I don't think they wanted to admit that I was not perfect. And I think they tried to do everything they could to just cover that up to uh, maintain the appearances and to maintain the image, for sure. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey beautiful souls, welcome back to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. I have a really important story for you to hear this week. I'm speaking with Teresa and Teresa grew up in a family she describes as narcissistic. They are steeped in generational conditioning and trauma and and they can't see past that. 
their entire life revolves around how things look to the outside world and their focus is on ensuring that everything they do as a family, as individuals, shows up in the best light to the outside world. And of course, that's what so many of us are doing and so many of our families are doing. It's all about it's all about the look. Do you look like you're doing the right things? Do you look successful? And of course, Teresa came along and she struggled a lot as a small child. She was taken for a diagnosis of autism, but her family decided not to continue in that process because they felt that that probably wasn't going to be a great look for them. And just saying that makes me feel so upset. <laughs> just makes me feel so upset. Because Teresa is an amazing human. She has so much awesomeness. She has so many great things to say. And she has had to cut ties with her family. And now she's on a journey to live the life that she was meant to live as herself, as her amazing and beautiful self. And it's just so awesome to witness somebody who's on that path. Please join me now in hearing Teresa's story. Teresa, welcome to the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. Thank you for being here. I've been looking so much forward to chatting with you today. You come from what you describe as a narcissistic controlling family dynamic. If you think back to your earliest memories, what do you remember? Was there love there for you as a little child? Now that I look back on it, it was very conditional love. If, if we had to define it as a love, it was very conditional. And I picked up on it like from a very early age, I would say like two or three years old. And I was very aware of my surroundings and everything that was going on. And I felt something was very off. And I noticed it more in my mother. It seemed like my mom was always put on this pressure to be like this perfect Italian wife and from I think from all of her pressures and and then her ultimately becoming a narcissist it kind of bled into how she disciplined my brother and myself and it was a lot of having to walk on eggshells a lot of aggression and the frustrations only kept getting worse when I was starting to have my autistic tendencies showing a lot more and she wasn't able to handle me or control me and I felt like that's where the aggression and frustration was really starting to come out compared to my brother, which he was pretty much like a calm baby, not very fussy, but with me, I mean, I was hell on wheels. Like she could not handle me. There was a lot of things that, you know, sensory wise, I couldn't handle, like I couldn't handle her big Italian parties going out, like the sound of like loud airplanes, airplane toilets. I would just freak out and scream and, it would put her in these really like tough situations and embarrassing moments. And she would take it out on me as a result. And that's how it, it's always been like a very strained relationship between me and, and my mother. And then with my father, he was kind of playing like 
the good guy masking as the good guy when he was kind of like the puppet puppet master pulling all the strings behind the scenes but as a kid you're not picking up on that as much you just see oh he's a happy guy how come my mom's so frustrated and always angry and yelling and screaming and I didn't pick up on that until I was much older I was just like wow my dad does a lot to really make my mom upset and on edge and unhappy and I mean there's so much more to be discussed on on that topic but it was definitely more like my dad was masquerading to be like the lighthearted parent while my mom was getting like this label as this like very hard, aggressive soccer mom. And that was like her label throughout my whole life. Wow. Yeah. And so you just remember being this kid that was not coping with the environment around you as much as other kids and so your mum wasn't coping with that either and then I believe at the age of three you were diagnosed as having autism. I wasn't diagnosed actually we were in the trials of myself being diagnosed autistic but we never got the official diagnosis because at the time my parents were just like ah she'll grow out of it I think they're just reading into it too much everything like that, even though I had like delayed speech and I was showing all these signs, but I just don't think they wanted to believe that I was autistic. So as like retaliation, they decided to just push me into all these very neurotypical activities like soccer and and pretty much putting me in the neurotypical environment, but I was just not, I wasn't made for it. I was not made for it and I felt it because I just felt so different from my peers from classmates, teammates and soccer, I just, I felt very different. Like I knew I was different at the time. I just didn't know what exactly, but yeah, I didn't ultimately get my, my autistic diagnosis until I was 29. So that was last summer. And not only did I find out that I was autistic, but I also had ADHD. And then everything just started getting the wheels turning in my head. Like, wow, this makes so much sense. Why I've been feeling this way my whole life. And wasn't able to really pinpoint what the reasons were. But as soon as I got like the official word, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. But then I'm like, well, now I have over 29 years of trauma (laughs) that I have to, you know, deal with and and everything. So it was kind of nice to hear. But at the same time, it was still kind of just like, man, if they would have let me have that diagnosis earlier, when I was three or four and they really took the time to listen to my needs and what I truly wanted and needed, I think there could have been so much damage that didn't need to be done, but because they just pushed, you know, pushed me into all these like social groups and things that I really was not interested in, it caused for a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. And so your parents stopping that diagnosis what was what was that all about, do you think? I don't think they wanted to acknowledge that I was not perfect because I feel like with narcissistic parents, they always want to put that appearance up front that we have the perfect family, we have the perfect kids, we have the perfect house. You know, when we have the big Italian parties, we want to show off, you know, the backyard with the pool and all the fancy food and, and, and everything. It's a big, extravagant event. Ultimately, I don't think they just wanted to admit that I was not perfect. And I think they tried to do everything they could to just cover that up. 
to uh, maintain the appearances and to maintain the image for sure. And I just, I'm just imagining you as a little girl and how confusing life must have been because you're this, this little girl with certain needs who is being stuffed into this box of like, this is what we need you to be. And absolutely nobody is listening to what you need. How lonely was that? It was very lonely. I mean, when you worded it just now, it was just like, exactly. Like, it's already hard enough being autistic to communicate your needs, but also having parents just trying to force you into a box that just is not fit for you, or they're trying to just force you into being somebody that you're not to maintain their image. You're basically having to change yourself for them. It's it's very isolating. And I felt like that was such a big learning curve when I had to like go out and like try to make friends or try to connect with people like in, you know, in classroom settings at school and in soccer and certain activities like that, because I always felt like there was just this wall between my world versus reality. And it was so askewed because of, you know, not only like not getting my diagnosis, but also having my parents kind of just like warp my mind into who I should be, who I should present myself to be in the world. And I think with that, it caused a disconnect when I was trying to make friends and and trying to put myself out there because, you know, it's masking ultimately. And being autistic, like you, you ultimately learn to mask, to fit in with society. And I was already kind of getting a double whammy from not only just me being autistic, but my, my parents also instilling that on me. So I felt like it was just so much harder to make friends. And then the very few times that I did make friends, my parents would always have to call them out on something, whether, oh, they don't go to a good school. They go to a ghetto school. So you shouldn't be hanging out with them or, oh, they're poor. Like you can't be hanging out with them because that looks bad on you. But for me, I was just like, I'm hanging out with them because they treat me nice and they, and they like me for me. I don't have to mask. And it, that, that was so heartbreaking because there were even times where I would get into like relationships. And as soon as they would meet them, they would make me break up with them on the spot and, and force me to like break up with them because, you know, they would see them and they didn't like the way that they dressed or they didn't like the way that they, that, that they looked because they weren't, you know, society's like, you know, expectations of beauty, like, oh, he's not a good looking man in our eyes. So you need to break up with him because it's going to look bad on us having people see you walk around with someone like them. So it it was very, it was very debilitating. And so I feel like they were having to pick and choose who I could hang out with, who I could be seen with. Oh, you could be seen with family, totally fine. But if it's anybody that looks weird, acts weird, dresses weird, you know, they're not conventionally handsome or, or beautiful. They, they get the ax because at home I would just be chewed out. Like, well, why are you hanging out with these low lives? And for me, I'm like, they're perfect. They're great. <laughs> you know, I wasn't so judgmental because I was just, 
you know, embraced at the fact that they like liked me for me and, and vice versa. I liked them for them. So I had no issue being friends with just all sorts of people, you know, whether they were, you know, black or if they were gay or they, if they were theater kids or art kids or ROTC kids, like I just liked being friends with people that treated me nice. It didn't really matter their background. Like that was not important to me, but for them, it was so, that was always like the big fight, like back and forth between like my parents. It's like, I was so open to just like learning about people and learning about cultures and learning about how other people live their lives. But for them, they wanted to just keep you in that box, you know? Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm just, I can just feel the tightness in my chest. It's just so suffocating isn't it to be around Mm -hmm. people who are just so closed to everything so conditional like everything is so conditional their love for you is conditional they're trying to get you to put conditions on everything just like them and you're you're like you know you're just different you're you're beautiful and open and allowing for humanity you know like for for everybody and it's it's like it's almost impossible to believe some people are born from other people isn't it like you look at parents and kids and it's like how do they turn up when you know they're they're blood related it's I think about that almost every day because you know I'm I'm currently estranged from my family I cut them off last summer and I I can't help but think like in even my partner and I've had these discussions before where you know we're thinking about myself and I'm and we're thinking about my older brother and it's just so crazy how we have two different sides to the story like if you were to ask my brother like how we were raised he'd be like my parents did everything for me they sacrificed a lot for me but at the same time he never challenged them as much as I challenged them in other ways. So my brother could easily get away with with murder. And because he's the golden child, like he just gets a little slap on the wrist and he gets, you know, paraded around like he's like the greatest thing ever. But then with me, because I was just quote unquote problematic, (laughs) which isn't, I don't feel it's very problematic at all. You know, I... I get thrown under the bus a lot or I'm getting treated very much like the black sheep. And, and for me, I'm just like, we, we turned out so different. I feel like for my brother, he's so conditioned to think like, Oh yeah, like my family's great. We're great. You know, we have everything. I got everything I needed, but for me, I'm like, well, I didn't get everything I needed. I deserved so much more. And I needed to be loved in a way that was going to be conventionally different than what society needed. And, you know, unfortunately that just didn't happen. Yeah. And so what was the dynamic like between you and your brother in that family? So believe it or not, in the very beginning, you know, when I was born and I was like displaying like, you know, my tendencies and being neurodivergent, my brother was the only one that could understand what I needed at the time. Like at the time, you know, I was delayed speech. So I was, I wasn't really speaking a lot of words. I was just making a lot of sounds and my parents had no idea what I needed and and how I communicated. But my brother knew what certain sounds, certain tones, exactly what I would need. So if I was making a certain sound, he would know it's like, oh, she needs water or 
oh, she just wants to be held or, oh, she just wants to play. Like, let me go play with her. So it, it was crazy. Like I can remember one time being on, on a tram ride back from Disneyland and I was like three, three or four years old and I was crying. I was just hysterically crying and my parents were embarrassed and, you know, just were turning the other cheek because they didn't know how to handle me. And he like picked me up and started rocking me and singing Ticket to Ride by the Beatles. And I calmed down and it was so crazy how he just knew how to take care of me when I couldn't really speak that well. And it was great. But then I feel once we got older, once he started going to school, I feel like once my parents started getting into his head a lot more, you know, he started to become very popular. He was a very popular kid from, from middle school all the way to, to high school. You know, he threw the big parties, you know, boy, girl parties, you know, he was going out with all of his friends. And then ultimately it became like, he was too embarrassed to be seen with me. He wouldn't tell his friends that he had a sister. Like they wouldn't find out until they would get to like our house and see pictures of me on the wall. And it's like, Whoa, I didn't know you had a sister. So no mention of me at all until, you know, friends would come over to the house. And then it just kind of became like, again, he didn't want to be seen in public places with me. He was becoming very uh, egotistical because he was getting all this like ego filler from all the popularity he was getting and dating all the hot girls and, and things like that. And ultimately, like we just started growing apart and he would start kind of like manipulating me here and there. Like he would do the whole sibling thing like oh can, can you give me my, my cell phone even though it was in arm's reach <laughs> and I would say no you need to get up and get it yourself it's not that far and it would be to the point where he would physically aggressively yell because he knew I was hypersensitive so he'd be like Teresa give me the phone like very angry and then you know ultimately I would do it because the screaming would scare me so there would be times where I did try to stand up for myself and and retaliate and 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 it would just turn into a lot of screaming a lot of fighting there were times where he would like physically pick me up against the wall and push me against the wall which was something that like he saw my dad used to do to my mom you know and it was just kind of things he was picking up from both of my parents. So it's not just my dad. He was picking up a lot of narcissistic tendencies from both of my parents. And ultimately, as he got older, his friends started, you know, kind of growing up and, and moving away. He became very cynical, very isolated, and then just became this very cold, like angry, bitter person. And, and, that's who he is. I mean, now he's, he's about to get married to, to his girlfriend and she doesn't know a, a lot of this stuff. And I feel like he masks a lot in front of her. And then like, you know, we'll, we'll at the time before, like I cut my parents off, like my mom would get phone calls from him and he would just be venting because of everything that he's trying to conceal and cover up you know, to the new spouse to be and everything. And I was just like, man, this is no way to live, you know? And for me, it's just like, 
maybe with the exception of one girlfriend and then when I was being younger, those were like the only times in my life that I saw him completely unmasked, completely himself, completely happy. But then I just feel with with the family pressures of having to be married at a certain age, having kids at a certain age, you know, making this kind of money at a certain age. And then with all like the generational stuff where I go, you know, you have to get married to an Italian Catholic woman and you have to get married in the church and things like that. I think it just started really putting that pressure on him to the point where, you know, he had to give up everything that was ever happy for him. (laughs) So now in turn, like he became a narcissist. So it was very, it's very sad to have seen that evolution come from him when for me, I'm like, I could have ended up like my family. I just don't know how I didn't turn out like them. It's, it's crazy. I still kind of get baffled about that where I'm just like, how did I not turn out like them? How could I have seen at a very young age that there was something problematic and I picked up on it very young. Mm. So for well, me, I'm well, just glad. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that didn't happen. <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, and I think the reason is that you turned up here on earth as a more evolved human. You're more evolved than they are. And that's that's what I believe. When I look at that kind of dynamic, it's just generational conditioning and it's so overwhelming. And if you are the, the kid that can sit back and actually see it from the outside which is what you're doing none of it makes sense and if you're the kid that's inside of it and you're just going with it you know you're just going to end up exactly the same and it's terrifying when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mm-hmm. And when I think back to your little self and your brother, and the way that he was able to listen to your needs, that's that's the pureness of his soul, isn't it, before it's corrupted. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that pure, beautiful self before you get all of that conditioning coming in. And, oh, it's just so sad. <laughs> I just think it's so sad to, to see where somebody ends up. And, it, and you're right, there's so much ego in there. But when you're told, you know, especially when you're the golden child and your parents are telling you you're amazing and and you you're going by all these things and you're you're the party person or whatever you know you you get such a big ego and and you've got to you've got to play the game then haven't you? you've got to be this person that you've created so yeah yes 
Definitely. And I feel like once his friends started like moving away and started to kind of grow up without him, like he like kind of had this reality check, like, oh, wow, I'm not as, you know, I'm not as great as I thought I was. And, and, you know, I think that's just when it took a turn for the worse and he just became just so cold, realizing that, you know, he wasn't going to be this like life of the party for his whole entire life like it was going to die down at some point I don't think he he ever even considered that to be a possibility because he thought you know like oh all of our family and friends are going to stay in the same city you know everyone's just going to grow up and live together how how it used to be like when my parents were growing up and that's how you know, essentially that's how they taught us that how life should be. You know, we don't move out. We, we stick around the same area. We all are close. We're very knitted. You know, we don't go astray. And that's what like my brother had been trying to keep this whole time. And now I feel like he's having something to prove because, you know, he's the only one not moving away. He's still local to where my parents are, you know, but then even with that, he's still not happy. And I know that, but he's just having to go along with it because that's just what's been ingrained the whole time. So, and for me, I wasn't going to stick around for that. And I've known that for, for years, it just wasn't until the pandemic that like things really shook me up to the point where I'm like, Oh, I I can't do this anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I can't live like this anymore. Like it's going to kill me if I continue this way. And it got, it got, to the point where I was thinking some pretty bad thoughts about how my future was going to look if, if I stayed local to where my family lived. Uh, it, w- it was getting really bad. And I told my partner that, and like he he knew about everything that was going on with my family and and everything. Like I tell him everything. And for him, it was just like, we, we, we need to get her out because it, it's going to be bad if we continue to just play their game and stick around and have them try to manipulate us. And even towards the end, when we did decide to make the move, it was still very, (laughs) they were still trying to grasp at straws with what they could control. Because um, I, I think I told you about the post about the, the concert and what had happened at the concert, you know, so we moved to Austin, we had these tickets to go see my favorite band. And so we flew back for the concert, you know, we were just there for a day or two. And then we flew back to Texas because, you know, we bought those tickets pre pandemic and we were still in, in that area. So we were just, you know, we still held on to the tickets and then they had the run and at the concert, my brother and, and my partner and he, my brother was just, you know, upset because, you know, I had, it had been a couple of months since like I cut them off at that time. And my brother was upset that my partner didn't ask his permission or my dad's permission to move. And for us, we were just like, well, we're in our thirties. Why do we need to ask permission to, to move? You know, it, it, it was just baffling to me that there's still that like old school mentality of like, oh, you have to ask dad for permission. But for us, it's just, we decided to move. It was a good move. (laughs) You know, we're in a committed partnership. We're not going anywhere. We're planning to get married. So for us, it was just a no brainer. Like, and I've never felt so comfortable about a decision in my life. And we were just on the same page with the move. So it was funny how he was just 
not only coming with him with the why didn't you ask permission, but just coming at him with the whole like just empty threats, empty threats with like, you know, I'm going to like hurt you if you hurt my sister kind of a thing. And and <laughs> it's it's just it's so funny to think about because it's empty threats. You know, just everything he was saying is just like, oh, I need like, where's my sister? Take me to my sister. And it's just like, well, you can't see your sister because you have a different ticket than we do. It's not like they're going to let you walk on the floor where that's where like our tickets were. And they had like seats. It's like security's not going to let you through. You know, my partner was conducting himself in just like a very smart way as far as just like, well, they're not going to let you through. And she doesn't want to see you. And I'm not going to force her to do anything she doesn't want to do. And at that point, my brother stopped with the threats because I think he knew if he tried to push it forward, there would have been more ugly truths that would have come out and that would have blew my brother's cover. So then that's when he stopped being so aggressive and was just like, well, take care of my sister for me. You know, you better not hurt her. And my partner was just like, hasn't happened, never going to happen have a good day and just left. It was so crazy. Like just him telling me that he ran into my brother, which is small world, right? Like, how would you even cross paths like that? Like, it's so crazy. And you're at a concert, there's 30, 40, 50,000 people. And you just happen to run into my brother. It's, it's crazy. But oh my gosh, I was just struck in with fear when my partner told me what had happened and like we left the concert early I just didn't feel safe I just thought you know it was just it wasn't a good idea to stay <laughs> because you know my brother's just kind of has a short fuse and he definitely got that from my mom you know not good with you know having calm and collected conversations it's very egotistical it's very aggression it's very like threatening you to try to be the bigger person and look threatening and scary. So then you bend to their will. It's a control tactic. Essentially, he was trying to control my partner in the situation to, to, you know, bend down and, and, and give in to his demands, which didn't work. And I think that's what made my brother even more angry that my partner had the control of the whole situation and, and he didn't. And that's what made him angry. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and and good on your partner for being that amazing person (laughs) oh my gosh he is he's literally like my saving grace like he was like the first one that probably told me like kind of have the suspicions about how like my family operates and at the time you know when you're thinking that your parents and your family are narcissistic you're just like you're trying to make excuses for them you're thinking man no that that can't be right you know, they're just doing their best with what they were given, what they were taught. But then as soon as you, you know, dive down the rabbit hole and you're doing more research and you're listening to a lot of people's stories and you're getting the facts and everything just starts lining up and you're just like, oh my gosh, I think they are narcissistic. And then with, you know, more phone calls and more uh, interactions with them, it's just like, wow, they are, they are. It was just, a crazy thing to realize and just so much control just Just so much control yes a lot of control and any little bit of defiance they start to like breathe down your neck a lot more start picking on you 
you know, it, you're kind of like the butt of the joke in front of people that they're trying to impress. And that doesn't feel good. You know, you're, you're, you're being forced to be dragged around a lot of like social events, but it's to make them look good and to make you feel not so good. You know, they could be talking about your accolades and everything you've accomplished, or they can use you as the butt of the joke and make fun of you or belittle you in front of people to make themselves look good, you know, for them to get an ego boost. And then for me, it's just like, man, I can't do this anymore. I mean, it's already exhausting enough being neurodivergent and being social, but being in social elements that you know you're not going to enjoy because you know what to expect as far as, you know, getting gaslit, manipulated, getting picked on and everything. It's just at one point, like it just, it needs to stop. And I needed it to stop because it was just going to go in a very dark direction if I stayed. Yeah, a hundred percent. And after that concert, there was some text messages. So there were phone calls and, and this is, and this is such a kicker. So, um, all my family is blocked off of like phone numbers, social media, everything like my partner and myself, however, we can receive voicemails. So when I first cut my family off in June, I had gotten about four voicemails from my dad, which is kind of funny because I didn't really have the best relationship with my dad leading up to me cutting my family off, but because he didn't burn his bridges as bad as my brother and my mom, now they kind of use my dad as the person to make the phone calls because he's got the more clean record, which is hilarious to me (laughs) because you know, for, I just don't know what, what they were thinking about that. But so I had gotten like four phone calls after just, you know, them being like, oh, you know, we, we haven't heard from you. We're going to have to call the police and, and, and make sure that like, you know, you're alive and everything. I'm just like, you know, we're fine. You know, we're fine. And we, you know, we didn't end up calling them back or anything, but then there were maybe one or two other times that they called, but they didn't call me this time. They, they called my partner and left voicemails. And it was just kind of the same, like generic runaround. Like we still have these voicemails and they all sound the same. It's just that, you know, obligational phone call where you're having to just be like, oh, we just, we're thinking about you. We miss you. It's just that kind of way to try to get you to break contact. And, and again, we're, we didn't really respond to those voicemails it's almost like we laugh because it's it's always the same format in the same formula and we're just like what what are we going to do we're not going to break contact you know I've made my decision I'm finished (laughs) so it's just funny how their their warped sense of reality they think that this is a good idea for them to leave phone calls to my partner and in their head they're thinking oh, you know, Teresa's partner is going to be able to say, your parents called and and they said that they missed you, almost trying to use George as that gateway to be coursing me into calling them, which for me, I'm like, I've seen that tactic. I know that tactic and it's not going to work now because I know exactly what they're trying to do. So for us, it's almost comical at that point whenever we do receive like a voicemail because it's just, it's the same voice tone it's the same format there's no sincerity there's no you know 
love or, you know, genuine sound to it at all, <laughs> you know? So, so we've been getting voicemails like every so often, but the last text message I ever got was when we were actually moving to Texas. We were in the middle of, of the move. So we were moving from California to, to Texas. So we were in mid drive. We were maybe two or three hours out from Arizona and my mom had text and was basically saying, you know, the generic, like, oh, you know, text me when you get to Arizona. So we know you're okay and everything. And then, then I get a text message that is not, it wasn't supposed to be meant for me, but it got sent to me. And this has happened quite a bit in, in my relationship with my mom where, you know, I'll, I'll say something in a text message and it's something that she doesn't like. So she'll try to text it to other people. And then I get the response where it's just this backhanded, you know, like, oh, she said this and, you know, <sighs> kind of hard to, to describe, but it, it's basically like they're, they're shit talking you behind your back, but then you're getting the text messages. And that's kind of what this was. I still have this text message. I haven't deleted it from my phone because I, I keep it as evidence that they ever try to give back and being like, we're good parents and we only want what's best for you. So I always just keep it in my phone just in case. Because it's like, no, you, you don't want what's best for me. So this was like the last text message I have ever gotten from my mom. So, you know, she texts back, you know, oh, let me know when you get back on the road, meaning when we were uh, going to go to Arizona. And then the text message that was supposed to be meant for somebody else but got sent to me was, it'll backfire. So, so she's going to have to come crawling back home sooner or later, and it'll happen just give it time. And I replied and said, who said that? And she said, I'm not going to say who, but prove them wrong. So she's saving face for whoever said it, or she said it and she doesn't want to make herself look bad. And then my reply was, you're saving face. You're not an ally to me. I can read between the lines. It doesn't matter who said it. It's being said. I've had no support and still don't. It's all toxic family bullshit. It's further proving my point that I deserved much better. I'm not coming back. We're going incognito. Good luck keeping a lid on this. And that was the last thing I've ever said wow. to my parents at that point. And then, you know, the one additional run in was my partner running into my brother at the concert. But after that, we've had no former contact since I cut them off. We're going to leave Teresa's story there for this week and we'll be back next week with the conclusion of Teresa's story where she talks more about getting out of that narcissistic family environment and moving into a life that is created by her for her and what having a healthy relationship with her partner now looks like. Please join me next week for the conclusion to Teresa's story. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. 
If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.